0: I have enjoyed so much this series, and today is is probably the hardest uh, part of this that I will have to teach. I was telling someone in the back a while ago it's it's kind of a an understanding of this uh, just being able to to realize and to bring out Jesus when he taught, he taught in, in parables, he taught in stories, and he did that because. People can only believe to a certain degree. When you read a Bible story, you're only taking from it what your faith can can hold on to. If I read Jonah, if I read about Daniel in the lion's den, if I read about anything, all that you're doing is your, your faith, whatever level it is, is grabbing a hold and it's saying, oh, I believe that. But it struggles to believe more. When somebody else comes along and says, well, how about this? I don't know about that. And so in, in, in time, there are certain stories like this one that I, I, I was joking about. I said, I need to be able to just take about five hours. And in fact, God kind of told me in the back, he said, we'll come back to this and we'll just have an afternoon service on this and just take as long as it takes to break this down. So what I'm going to give you today as we wrap up this series on I don't want to miss the move of God is as much as I can. And hopefully you will grab enough of it to be able to, to run and, and to understand all that I've been saying. And what I've been saying up to this point is, is that we need to establish where we sit with the Lord. That's the first thing, is that we're not to sit in uh, Mount Sinai where we, we, we stress over the rules and what I did right or didn't do right. And, I'm not supposed to sit at Calvary where I just focus on grace and, you know, grace takes care of everything and God does whatever he wants to do and it's just all grace. I'm supposed to sit at Zion where me and the Lord do ministry together, where we do ministry together. My spirit, at this very moment, my spirit is in heaven. At this very moment, my flesh is here. And this is always the battle that I'm having. I'm seeing in the spirit speaking to you in the flesh. So when people ask and I say, "How did you get that?" or "Where do you get that out of the Bible? Where do you get It's because I'm never connected. Pray without what? How do you do that? Easy. I'm always sitting in prayer. If I go into Walmart, I'm sitting in prayer. If I'm standing here today, I'm sitting and seated with Christ right now. That is my position. And because that's my position, all that you see is my flesh. But what you're hearing and what will make you cry and what will touch you is the spirit that comes from heaven flowing through me as a conduit that touches you. Some of you already lost This is what is happening every minute of a Christian's life. So you've got to learn to see it. So what becomes the most important thing to me in my life is not the material things that I can see, the stuff that erodes and tears up and breaks down and we stress out and give all our energy to. The only thing that matters is my relationship with the Lord. So my time and my intimacy with God becomes the catalyst for everything about my life. It's not what I do, it's who I am. So I focus my energy on who I am. Not what I can do. I don't get excited about more things to do. I get excited about more time I get to spend with Him. Then when those things are correct, then faith and obedience become the natural response. For if you love me, you will obey my... See, the scriptures start to fit when you put them together correctly. And if you don't put them together correctly, then you are just in this walk trying to understand a God. And it will always be Confusing. So now my faith, the things that you see me do, come from where I'm seated, and it comes from my relationship. So now my faith and my obedience become my actions, and this becomes the mystery part that you live in your life. How important it is what I do? How important is it what I don't do? How much of it is God? How much of it is me? Think of it this way. There are two lines that are running all the time. There is God's will that is running all the time. It's constant. And and God's will is going to win out. Whatever God has ordained is going to happen. And at the same time, there is my will. My dreams, my ambitions, my The things God puts in me, how much of it is... Is that really what he wants? It runs parallel also with God. And somewhere in between those two parallel lines, I exist. Somewhere between those two parallel lines, my actions have value. Let me me see if I can say it in a way that'll make sense. Go with me uh, to Matthew. I know I didn't write this down, I'm sorry. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. So how important is my actions? What do you have to do to be forgiven? What do you have to do to be forgiven? See, there's a lot of... You gotta repent, right? You gotta well, let's see what the Bible says. For if you forgive others, there your heavenly father will also forgive. So I can confess my sins as much as I want. I can say, God, I'm sorry. But if I do not forgive others, am I forgiven? See, there's this parallel line that runs between, and there's a certain amount of my actions that causes waves, It causes heaven to move. For the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Well, if God already has a will, then how can I availeth much? God's just going to do what? No. Somewhere in this mystery, and let me just go ahead and tell you flat out, I don't understand it. For you, they already know everything. Let me just go ahead and explain to you. I don't understand it. And I've been doing this my whole life. I just know that there are times that along this parallel line, I can pray and miracles and cancers come off. And there's times in this parallel line, I pray and people die. And God yet says, pray. Pray. Why pray? What good is it? Doesn't do any good. Oh, yeah, at times it breaks barriers, it breaks down walls. At times it does. And at times it seems like I'm praying and I can't move anything. And God says, Don't quit praying, don't quit forgiving. Peter, that's what he asks as soon as he hears this. Listen, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your... Can you be saved without forgiving others? Oh, now you're really messed up, ain't you? I done messed your theology up now. Oh, yeah, I can be saved and hate people and I can be saved. Oh, can you? Can you? Well, then you'd have to be against the Bible. That means you got to believe a theology that isn't written. That somebody just made up and told you and said it's true. I didn't give you my theology. I told you what. In fact, I hate to break it to you. This was Jesus. This is not even Paul. This is Jesus saying, you don't forgive. Ain't going to be no forgiveness for you. Now that'll mess you up. So I'm traveling through life, and I'm like, man, I don't, that person's driving me crazy. And God says, you better forgive them. If I don't forgive them, what's it gonna do? "Mm, You don't want to find out. So there's these parallel lines that are running. And they're constantly in our lives, and they're constantly dictating. Heaven and earth moving together. That's why the Bible says whatever you bind in heaven is bound on. How can I do that? Because my spirit man in heaven is binding things, and therefore the man on earth then has to bind things. And whatever I'm loosing in heaven, I'm also loosing it. This is mystery. And the more the mystery you live in with God, the deeper you get. That's why when I share a story, I don't know to what depth you understand it. I don't know how seriously deep you can grasp it. I'm hoping it gets deeper and deeper and deeper in your life to where it grows, to where when when, when somebody says, you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What does that mean to you? That means every time I pray for somebody, I'm expecting healing. But you just said it doesn't happen every time. That's not my business. That's where the sovereignty of God runs right along with my wishes and my dreams and my hopes. And sometimes I get what I want and sometimes I don't. And and yet at the same time, God says, lay hands on them. And at the same time, he says, lay hands on nobody quickly. Just thought I'd throw that in. You better discern their spirit. You better discern the moment. You better discern what you're supposed to pray. All of this is running parallel. And everything I've taught you up to right now is so that you become comfortable in running in this parallel. So that my closeness to God, where I'm seated with God, gives me faith and assurance so that I can be obedient. This is the problem with our world. We talked about how people either want to live a a natural Christian life, they go to church, but they they don't believe any of it. Their lifestyle, everything, get real. You're as fake as a $4 bill. You're just rational or natural. You do things out of your flesh, and then you try to attach God to some of it. But living in the mystery is the key. It's where you see and you hear about all of these things and you wonder why it doesn't happen to you. It's because they have the ability to live in mystery. Understanding what they don't understand. Trusting what they don't trust. Think about it this way. When you're living in this mystery, we think of it like, oh, it's so mystical. No, think of it this way. If I forgive, I will be... That's a mystery. If I will make myself last, God says I'll make you. So every time you're at Walmart, let somebody else go in front. Every time you're at a stop sign, make sure you've met the other person go. Every time in your life, let someone else go before you, do better than you, push them ahead. And God says, what I'll do is I'll make sure you rise. That's a mystery. That ain't the way the world thinks. Give. Give your money away. And I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings you can't contain. Any all ready to give? I know you gave some. You ready to just give it? Lord, if that's the key, then I'm just giving. No, you're not. Because it's a mystery. It doesn't fit our natural world. It doesn't fit our natural society. I say all that because the story we need to go to today is a very important story. It is... It is the story that I go to and I wrestle with. This is the one I'll come back later and we will do hours on. If we sit here for four hours, that's okay. But we're going to wrestle through it one day. But today, go with me to Second Kings, Second Kings thirteen, beginning at verse fourteen. So I don't realize that what I'm doing each and every day, even though it feels insignificant and small, how much it is impacting heaven. That's why we as fathers, we walk out on our families because we don't realize the impact we're having. That's why moms, that's why we don't, we don't take our kids to church, that's why we don't, All the stuff we do is because they seem so little and insignificant. It's one of the biggest worries I have with my children. One of the greatest worries I have. I cannot pass on to them what I know. And it is the greatest stress in my life. I can't pass it on to Elise. it's understanding of how it works in mystery and how the smallest insignificant things you do create what you have L- let me say it this way if you had faith as what you can you can move mountains now <laughs> What is the faith as a mustard seed? He didn't say if you had the faith of a mustard seed. As a mustard seed. Because he doesn't say, if you just had the faith as mustard seed, it would be good. That's not what he says. We use that and we, we, we pollute the message. The mustard seed is not the faith he's talking about. Is he talking about the size of a mustard seed? No, he said the faith as a mustard seed. See, we always turn around and say the size. We always pull out these little mustard seeds and we hold these little mustard seeds. If you had faith just as a mustard seed, you'd be, that's not what he's saying. I'm fixing to mess your theology up. It's not until the mustard seed is put in the ground and it grows. And the Bible, Jesus finished the story. We don't finish it. We just say as a mustard seed. Jesus said, but when it's thrust into the ground and it grows, it becomes as a big tree and a bush. And he said, birds come and nest in its limbs. It's, it's, your faith is useless as long as it's held in your hand. Now, it doesn't have to be large, but if it's held in your hand, it's useless. But even if it's a small amount, when it's thrust in, it will produce something so large in faith that things will be able to rest and trust in it. Your faith is useless until it becomes the tree. Does that make better sense? I'm just messing y'all up all over, aren't I? I'm sorry. This I'm I'm just going to chill through a few of these things because I've got to get this to you as much as get it out of me. So understanding this, it's not until it becomes full grown, but it begins insignificant, a small thing that seems insignificant. That's what he was teaching. If you had faith, just as a mustard seed. Why was he teaching that? Because he walked by a tree and insignificantly just said, curse you, tree. You'll never produce any more. Whoop-de-doo, what'd that do? Should have put, you know, Clorox on it. Should have went to the hardware store, got some Roundup and sprayed on it. Tree, you will never live again. No, he just spoke to it. Little insignificant thing, and then he comes back by a day or so, and guess what? That sucker dead, dried up from the roots, and and the disciples were shocked that the tree died because something so insignificant as a word, and we throw words around on Facebook, and we throw words around, and we say negative things all the time, and we think. That ain't hurt nothing. And we don't realize how the small, insignificant things that we do in our life are impacting eternal lives. Now, Second Kings. I just need to go through this story. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness which he was to... So... Elisha, no matter how much he prayed, no matter how how anointed he was, no matter if he can, he thinks to die. I love how it says that because it begins by saying, Elisha has a sickness, oh, and this is the one that's going to kill him. This is the one that he will die from. There's some that you may get through your life, ingrown toenail or something that you think, I'm going to die of this. No, you're not. But let me be very clear. There are certain things that you're going to get that you're going to take you out. It may be old age. It may be your heart stopping one day. It may be, but there's a, there is a sickness unto death and Elisha's got it. He, he's running parallel with God, but he can't fix this. God's will says, it's over. It's time to cash it in. And so in this process, he felt sick of this illness and Joash, king of Israel, went down to him And to visit him. And and when he went down to him and he wept before him, crying. Now this is an incredible moment that Joash notices and sees something that Elisha has seen. When Elisha was young and Elijah was fixing to be taken away, the last words that he speaks to Elijah is that, well, look at there. I see the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Eli- Joash is experiencing the mystery, he's right there in the middle of the mystery. There's this anointing that's in the place. There's this, there's this anointing. Just like we have church service, there's an anointing. And Elisha is full of this anointing. We know this because later when Elisha dies, there's some raiders coming and, and they're invading and they see him coming and there's a dead man laying there and they grab him and throw him into the cave where Elisha was put. And you know what happened to the dead man? He came back to life. He fell on his bones. I'm talking about an anointing, and Elisha has no one to give it to. It's going to the grave with him because there's no one who wants to live in mystery. There's no one he's found that wants to live in mystery. Brother Lot, there's got to be somebody. No, he had a servant. Remember the story of Naaman. He had a servant who was supposed to be the next one in line who he would give his anointing to and he would become the next great prophet. But here's what happened. When Naaman had leprosy and he came with his camels and his clothes and all of his entourage and he said, I'm going to give this to you, Elisha, if you will heal me. And Elisha says, I don't want none of your stuff. Keep your stuff. I don't want it. But as you're going home, you're going to pass the Jordan River. When you're passing the Jordan River, get off your camel, go into the water, and seven times dunk yourself in front of everybody. And when you do that, you will be healed and you can go on home. And that's what Naaman does. Embarrassed, but yet, what good is this? There's a, in fact, Naaman doesn't understand mystery. He's like, there's a lot of clean rivers I could go to, there's some pretty, that ain't the one I told you to go to. What's so special about this? It's the one I told you to go to. That's what's special about. It. And Elisha's servant gets to thinking about all that stuff on them camels. And he don't want to live in mystery. He wants to live in rational. It's just natural somebody to pay you for what you did. Why would I give away free money? So he catches up with a caravan and he tells a lie and he says, Elisha, my, my master, uh, changed his mind and said he, he needed some of this stuff. And Naaman loads him up. He gets back and Elisha said, What have you done? Well, I'm just trying to take care of us. He said, I'll tell you what you've done. Now the leprosy that was on Naaman is now on you, and you'll die. Elisha's servant somewhere in a house scratching himself, dying of leprosy. And he's got nobody to give the mystery to. So Joash is is sitting there crying because he's dying. His spiritual father is dying. I don't have anybody to pray for me no more. I don't have anybody to help me anymore. I don't have anybody. And he says, I see I see the chariots and the horsemen. And Elisha said to him, quickly, real fast. And this man is dying. He says, real fast. We're going to deal with your problem. We're going to deal with your problem. It's amazing how fathers talk. Real fathers Don't get in the minutia of your emotions. One of the things we're trying to do in this modern day is to make men more sensitive. Let me tell you what, you need to leave men alone. Men will tell you who you are and what you need to do, and they'll make you cry telling you. But let me tell you something, when they get through telling you, you won't have a misunderstanding about what your next step should be. And let me tell you, some of you men, you need to quit taking your aprons off, and you need to quit... All you're womenizing, and you want to act like some female, and you need to just swear up and say, Son, here's the way it is. Daughter, here's the way it is. Quit pansying around. What we need is fathers. Elisha was a spiritual father, and here's, here's Joash crying, Oh, my dad, you're dying, and I don't want to see. And he says, Shut up, boy, go grab that arrow. Quit your whining, go get the bow. And, and he goes and he grabs the, the bow and the arrow. He says, okay. He said, now come here. He said, load it. So he loads it. He says, come close to me. Let me tell you something. There was no question of what the problem was in their area. The Assyrians, the Amenians had, had, had just totally ravaged the ten tribes. Joash knew that I can't defeat them. Hazel, the king of Syria, was, was just, just totally just messing up their life. There are things in your life that you just have come to the conclusion, I'll never beat that, and I will never be able to overcome that, and I will never be able to to fix that. You're right. Without God, you never will. And here's what happens. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. And he took the bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha then laid his hands on Joash. Listen to be very careful. Joash represents you. You who got problems and you who got issues and you who have situations and you who can't seem to get over certain battles and you who seems like it's just never going to, I can't break this. You who have the addiction and, and we've given ourselves every kind of excuse and every type of reason, that the reason we can't and the reason we... And God never came along and said, yeah, you're right. That's just the way it's got to be. No, no. You were born to overcome it. You were born to defeat it. You were born to get it out of your family. You were born to break it out of your life. You were born to break that addiction. You weren't supposed to smoke until the day you die. You weren't supposed to dip. You weren't supposed to cuss. You wasn't supposed to be hooked on this or hooked on that. You weren't supposed to be a liar all your life. You are not supposed to just have no control over your thoughts. You were supposed to overcome and be victorious. And, and, And you weren't supposed to do it just a little bit. You were supposed to do it completely. Quit acting so whiny. Quit acting so weak. You're not that weak. Yeah, by yourself, you can keep saying, I can't do it. You're right, but you need to find you a spiritual father. You need to find you some spirit inside. You need to get more than what you've got so that you can overcome what's greater than you. Because listen, the Bible doesn't say you're greater. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That means if he's in me, then there's nothing outside of me that's stronger than me. Elisha puts his hands on him. And he tells him to go to the window. Go to the window. Pointed eastward. We've got a picture of a window. And you just imagine that taking place. Imagine that happening. That Joash is like. Do what? Look out the window, son, eastward. I don't see anything. I don't. What's this got to do with Syria? What's this got to do with. You're dying. Don't worry about me. There's stuff going to happen after me. He said, You take that arrow. And you shoot it eastward. And you shoot it as hard and as far as you can. see that it's amazing. This is a kid's boat. If I were to shoot this thing, it might hit that wall. It might go that far. Y'all all worried, like, hope you don't point that thing at me. <laughs> don't worry. It's called a youth bow, a practice bow, a kid's bow. But you know, there's some that have, they do it by draw weight. How much draw? It starts off like 20 pounds for a kid and go up to like 80 pounds. In fact, the recurves have to have a bail on them because you couldn't hold it without having that release on it because it's got so much pressure pulled against it that it has a moment that it goes into a socket and it takes the pressure off. So until you release it, it won't go back into that. Some of them shoot as much, almost as fast as a bullet goes. It'll go through the deer, but you've got to be able to pull it back. You've got to have the ability, the maturity to pull it. And he looks at the king of Syria, uh, king of Israel and he says, you're a grown man. You're, you're the king of this country. Now grab that bow and pull it back with all your strength, with everything you've got. And what strength you don't have, my strength is with you. I've done laid my hands on you. And now with our strength, you shoot that thing towards Syria and you command it to go king does, he shoots it (laughs) and here's what the Bible says and he said the Lord's arrow of you've already won that's the Lord's arrow me shooting that one little arrow what difference does that make? Just, I shot an arrow out a window. No, no. Let me tell you what you did. The Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians at Aphek until you have made an end of them. You will win. Wow. But it doesn't end. Notice what he says. And he said, Take the arrows. And he said, Go get the arrows. Grab some arrows. He said, Take the arrows. And he took them and he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. Strike the ground with them. I oh, shut out this window. You're, you're dying. I don't even know if you're speaking out of your mind. I'm seeing chariots outside, fiery chariots coming to get you. This is weird. He said, "Quit worrying about everything. Take those arrows and strike the ground. I've just told you you've beaten Syria. I've just told you God's given you victory. I've just told you the thing that's been bothering you the most, the thing that's been just harassing you, the thing that has been destroying you, the thing that has been overcoming you, the thing you have victory over it, and if you now will strike the ground, you will tell it it's gone. He took the arrows took them and he said to the king of us, strike the ground and he struck the ground three times and stopped and so the king got down and he, he said is that what you wanted is that, is that what you wanted okay i struck the ground Then the man of God, who is the voice of God, was angry with him. All right, I done shot out the window. I done, the problem is, King, you don't understand. See, you don't understand. Think about the worst addiction you got. You in here can't control your drinking. Oh, I can quit when I want to. You just ain't ever wanted to. Yeah. All right. Take your worst addiction. Stuff you got hid. Stuff you don't want nobody else to know about. And if I told you this morning, if you come up to this altar, I'm going to lay hands on you. What good's that going to do? It's going to set you free. When I lay my hands on you, you will be free from whatever it is. See, for some of you, I've already lost you because you can't, can't grasp mystery. I can lay my hands on you and you will be delivered from whatever it is. Set free. Gone. And then what I'm gonna look at you and do is I'm gonna tell you now, I want you to raise your hands and I want you to praise God for what He's done. Now, you you don't feel free yet. You don't feel delivered yet. Nothing has changed. You still got the same stuff here at home. You still got the same stuff in your car. You still got all the same stuff. And I'm looking at you and saying, I want you right now to raise your hands and begin to praise God for what he has already done. See, at that moment, what you don't understand is at that moment is when you actually gained and won your victory. When you say, I want to I pray in tongues. I want to speak in tongues, brother. Lott. Well, that's simple. That's easy. I'm going to say, come up here. It's already a gift given by God. Tongues is already a gift. God wants you to have a prayer language. He wants you to be empowered. All that's a gift. I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I lay my hands on you, the gift of tongues will be on you. And all you got to do then is speak in tongues. Just raise your hands and begin to speak. What do I speak? Whatever comes to your mind. I don't guess it sounds like Honda, Kawasaki. I don't care what it sounds like. Doesn't bother me. I want you to raise your hands and I want you to begin to just, oh, through your mouth, release and begin to let God flow through it. I want you to speak in a heavenly language. I don't understand it. You never will. I've been doing it for 40, 50 years. I don't understand any of it. I just know that when I'm getting in the spirit and the power of God's moving, I'm filling up from the inside and I could take on hell with a water gun. You want what I got? Then you're going to have to learn to live in mystery. Well, when I understand it, you're going to still be step there. Until you learn to beat the arrows, you will never step into the other side because it's beating the arrows. So if you said, I need healing, okay, you come up here. We're going to take oil. We're going to lay it on your head. We're going to anoint you with oil. And then what's going to happen? I'm going to say, raise your hands and praise God for the deliverance he's given you. And you can either do it like this. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I'll go back to my seat now. You know, I don't know if that really worked. I don't know if I feel any better. I'll go check with the doctor tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll mess your theology up. Or, because all you're going to do then, let me just go ahead and tell you, you're going to make me angry. Let me tell you what you did. You made me angry. Well, you know, Brother Lott, you come to me after service, after this service, and you come to me, pray for me, Brother Lott. You know I got some issues. I'm gonna look at you and say, you tick me off. <laughs> you take you and your issues on down the road. You hang on to them issues, you keep talking about them issues, Facebooking them issues, writing letters about them issues, complaining about them issues. I've done told you how to come out of it. I've done told you. Elisha's slaying there on death face and I'm trying to tell you son you don't want to keep fighting these folks the rest of your life. You don't want to keep but you said I've got victory. You do. you've, you've, You've made a move but here's the thing it is what's the little thing that you do in the natural that's fixing to set at odds the thing in the spiritual. So if somebody comes to me and says, Brother Lot, how would you get healed? I'll tell you, I'm going to call the people that I know, my friends, my people that pray here. I'm going to call my pastors, and I'm going to say, on this certain time, we're going to pray, and somebody's going to anoint me with oil, and I'm going to do everything. I'm going to call the elders of the church like it says, and I'm going to have my hand laid on oil, and I'm going to believe that when they do it, that miracles are going to happen. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise both my hands, and I'm going to say, oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, you get kind of fanatical. If you had been healed, you would too. Yeah, but you ain't healed yet. Oh, I was healed when they laid the hands on me, but I just went ahead and did business in heaven in my spirit. I bound it in heaven, so therefore it's bound on earth. told you it's five hours and I'm giving you the shortest version I can and then the man of God was angry with him and said you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an Well, I don't have as bad of migraines as I used to, Brother Lott, since you prayed for me. Well, that ain't what I prayed. I prayed they wouldn't come back. Well, it's better. Well, thank God it's better. You'll be mad at God less now. This is the, this is the mystery that, that even the church that we watch on TBN and all this, they don't want to walk in this. This is this, what I'm doing up here. Man, the world looks at this and says, this is crazy. It is. But it's okay because I look at their world and I look at they can't figure out which bathroom to go to and I think they're crazy. We both crazy. It's just which one of us wants to be the weirdest. I decided to be weird this way and it's made all the difference. But now... You will strike down Syria only three times. He had no idea, no idea, because he didn't want to walk in that. He had no idea that just, well, I prayed about it, Brother Lot, how long? I fasted about it, how long? Well, I gave, Brother Lot, how much? What did you do with the arrows? Did you beat them to where there was no more arrows to beat? Did you leave it all out there? Did you praise until there was nothing left to praise? The enemy would have to come over all my praise. It's how many times you can beat the ground that makes the difference. Let me say this and I'll close for you. Why? Why did he stop? The thing that was going to gnaw at him the rest of his life, the thing that was going to bother him the rest of his life, the thing that he was going to go to bed thinking about, it was going to destroy his family, it was gonna, the thing that had hung over him all this time, why did he stop? Why did you stop where you stopped? You got so far. Why did you stop there? Why did you quit reading your Bible there? Why did you quit praying there? Why did you quit going to church there? Why did you quit believing for miracles there? Why did you just settle there? Maybe maybe it was because he he just wasn't sure he presumed and didn't want to be too presumptuous you know Brother a lot that's i mean i don't i don't i don't deserve that i, I, I don't I, I don't want to expect too much let me tell you something about running with god you're never going to outdream him. You're never going to pursue something that you're going to scare him and make him think, son, you're just going way too far. There's no dream that I've ever had that I haven't walked away from and said, man, I should have dreamed bigger. I should have believed for more. Some of us in this room, we don't want to be presumptuous. We don't, we don't want to just dream too big or, or, or expect too much. And have a God that says all things are possible. It has a God that says, nothing's too hard for me. And we walk up to him, yeah, but I I don't want to ask too much. I don't I don't want to bother you. Maybe it was age, maybe he just feels like I'm not old enough. Or I'm too old. Maybe I'm just—I've just reached a point where where somebody else needs to do it now, or 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 somebody else needs to take care of it. I'm just not the right person. I'm the wrong fit. Maybe that's what you do. You see it, know what needs to be done. Well, you know, Pastor Lot can do that better than me. Right now, I got I got a ministry that got started. It's been going for a while. Now I got people wanting to bail like rats on a ship. It's done turned into a lifetime of work now, effort, commitment. That ain't what I wanted. What did you want when you struck the ground? I just want to touch a couple people. Well, good. You can walk away and say you touched a couple people. Maybe I'm not the right person. Maybe, maybe he was just content and just trying to find an easy place to quit. I mean, I did it three times. What more do you want? I mean, that's better. I mean, whooping them three times is good. And the Bible talks that he does. He beats them three times, drives them, and takes some of the land back. But they come back. Maybe we just get content with what we have. It's not as bad as other people. It's not as... You know, I know I sit in church. I don't have what they have. But, you know, at least I'm not lost. You get content. Maybe they just couldn't believe enough for mystery. When you read the stories of Jonah and a whale or a fish, you read the... Stories of Daniel. When you read the stories of Shadrach, when you hear about Paul taking firewood and putting it on a fire and a snake comes out and bites him and, and he shakes it off and he just sits down. You think God could use you like that? Do you think God could put you in places where they would get to see the mystery? Maybe they just Maybe he just couldn't believe enough for mystery. Maybe he just didn't want to be nothing but rational and natural. Maybe, maybe probably more than anything, he just didn't feel like it. Maybe he just, just didn't feel like it. It just ain't worth fighting. Think of how many things in your life that you just accept because it just ain't worth the fight. It just ain't worth it. I'm going to heaven. But to get to there, it just ain't worth the effort. So much would have to grow and so much would have to change and so much. And it just ain't worth it. Our things around us are stolen and robbed. we go to bed upset and we tell somebody about it, and then we always know it because we'll complain about something. Well you are just to somebody look at it we'll do something. And what do we do? We shut up. We'll do something about it. because it really, really just doesn't matter that much. It's really. Not that important. And until it is, and until lives are, and people are, and souls are, then you'll never see what you keep wanting to see. Will you stand? Can we go a little past 19 down to verse 22? I know I didn't give you that, and I'm sorry. You may have to find that real quick. Can I just, God just... It's one of the saddest scriptures I ever read. I told you I go to this story quite often in my, my pursuit in my pursuit of mystery. So that I get used to the strange. Tim, do this. Lord, nobody else has to... Hmm? Keep beating the arrows, son. Keep beating the arrows. Yes, sir. It may look insignificant to you, Tim. Tim. It may look small to you. But you're breaking. And you're tearing down strongholds. And I think of that king sitting on that throne every day of his life. Thinking back on that moment. And this is what was said. Now Hazel, king of Syria. Oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. Jehoaz was his kinfolk, his son. He didn't just oppress Jehoash. He said, Not only did you not take it off of you, but you passed it on to your kids. And what you wouldn't take care of, now I get to mess with your kids the same way. What you thought wasn't important, it just wasn't worth it. It's costing you more than you'll ever know. I didn't come by this day to, to embarrass you or to press you or to trick you. I didn't come by to do any of that. I just come by to tell you that walking with God is a mystery. And there's things that we do that seem so insignificant, but they're huge. And when we believe that God has done it, we praise Him. We just praise Him for it, like it's already done. That's weird. I know. But that's how business in heaven is done. Whatever I'm binding there, I'm binding it here. And whatever I'm loosing it up there, I'm loosing it down here. There's things in my life that I hope that I have conquered and defeated that my kids will never have to deal with. I pray today that there are things in your life that you deal with. That you go ahead and conquer it now so that it don't get passed on and somebody say well you know I'm just like my mom and I'm just like my dad I'm just like Papa. that that has a whole different meaning than it used to have if you're in this room today and God is calling you into mystery God is calling you into something right now He's telling you to beat the arrows. Listen to that guy. Listen, he's trying to tell you what I'm trying to tell you. Beat the arrows. Shooting it declares it. Beating it determines it. If you're in this room and there's something that has got you, staring at you, Is beating you down. And it may seem like, well, I can handle it. Yeah, but how long? How many years? How many lifetimes? Is it something you want your kids to deal with? You decide how important it is. Whether it needs to go today. It needs to be gone today. If you say it is, it's time. And God is calling me to. Then move. Do the mystery thing. Step out. Say, Pastor, lay your hands on me. In my strength, I can't do it, but if two touching anything agree, the Bible says it's done. I don't understand that, but I'm willing to walk in it. Let the mystery, let it engulf me. Let the mystery engulf me. i told y'all last week this this is my dna this is who i am it's it's hard to explain but it's what makes me who i am i'm not just trying to get you to come to an altar this is this god's got to say that's you he's talking about You don't want to go home and let Syria whoop on you another week, another year, another lifetime. This is you. I'm fixing to dismiss you to church, to Sunday school. These I'm going to pray with. Father, your word has gone forth today and I thank you. There are victories that are fixing to take place today. They are already ordained. They were already determined. Today, we just beat the arrows. Today, we beat the arrows against the ground. And we don't hit it once or twice or three times. Today, we praise. We praise you for the victory that we don't see because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things I don't even see yet but I know it's coming and I know it's done. Father, bless your people. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.